You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Thanks so much, Josiah. Good morning, everybody. It's nice to see you this colder season of life. Actually, um, we're calling our next messages here through the end of December, the season of expectancy. And I'm going to be talking this morning about expectations, promises, God being real, and experiencing Jesus. Um, down through the ages, the church has called this season of the year Advent. How many of you are familiar with that term, Advent? I've never um, sort of followed closely the different uh, titles of the um, uh, church season, but as I was looking at this, I thought this is really something we should consider. But this is the time we remember, of course, and celebrate the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. And one of the other elements of Advent is not just the first coming, but it's also the second coming of Jesus. I, um, Stephen was, uh, praying for his dad this morning. You know, they're, um, there are these cycles of life I've noticed, um, having to do with, um, promise, expectation, fulfillment. And if you went all the way back to the Garden of Eden, you could actually begin to see sort of a historic pattern down through the years. Um, Eden was a paradise. Into the paradise came trouble. Into the trouble came certain levels of distress. But then there came a promise. And if you trace that all the way through to the coming of the Lord, the birth of Jesus, which is such an unbelievable and remarkable event, unlike anything the world has ever seen. Jesus demonstrates to the world who he is, the Son of God. There are miracles, there are signs, there are wonders, but Jesus continues to say, uh, but they're going to crucify me, and nobody gets that. Then there's his death, and so... People had these expectations. The expectations came up, but Jesus didn't do what people thought he was going to do. He died, but then he was raised from the dead. So then suddenly that sorrow turns into joy. And then 40 days later, he decides to leave. And they're left there wondering, well, what now? And, of course, the wonderful thing was not a promise, but the promise. Somebody say the promise. The promise of the Father came who is the person of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit who would replace functionally the very presence of the person of Jesus. So anyway, you have these peaks and valleys. Um, um, you know, we pray for Coogan today as he struggles. We think about um, 
Josh and Dusty Jensen, who Dusty's mom passed away suddenly within the last 10 days. And, um, you know, your hearts go out to people. Um, there's trouble, there's difficulty, there's disappointment, but there's also hope, there's also promise, there's also fulfillment. And as a church, this is what goes on all the time in our midst. It goes on all the time. It's part, it's just some of the rhythms, rhythms of life. And that doesn't necessarily make it easier, but it can begin to give us understanding. I was thinking about when my father passed away. He, um, Christopher, my second son was born in September and my dad passed away suddenly, unexpectedly. Um, before Thanksgiving that year. And so there's, there's just, you know, the birth of my second child and the elation over that, then the passing of my father and then, um, the birth of another child and then another child. And it's just, um, learning to live in these rhythms and appreciate, uh, the Lord as much as we have within us with the questions and the heartache. How many of you are listening to me this morning? With the questions and the heartache. And I don't see anything wrong with questioning and wondering and praying and believing and getting disappointed, getting your faith built up again. But one of the things I want to do is identify some of the specific promises about who Jesus is and what he does for us. The prophets foretold one to come who would be described as wonderful, wonderful, counselor, almighty God, the prince of peace, prince of peace upon whose shoulders the government would rest. He would forgive our sins as a savior and rule as the everlasting king, but the I really think about national politics in some ways. I don't talk a lot about it because it's too messy. And But I think uh, I, I could sort of look at our nation a little bit like the Jews looked at the Messiah and what they expected him to do. They expected him to push the Romans out and make everything wonderful. But he didn't do that. Now we understand when he comes again, that's going to be a different story. And that's also part of Advent. And I don't know how many of us legitimately put our expectation in the reality that Jesus is coming back. And when you think about Jesus coming back, you preclude your agreement with the resurrection from the dead. So anyway, wonderful. That's one of the descriptions of this one who was foretold to come. And part of Advent, part of the way we celebrate is that it's a time of expectation. In other words, in the church calendar, you're thinking about the birth of Jesus in an expectant way. And it, it really amazes me when you look back or you do a detailed look at the prophecies about Jesus. I love that name, Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. You know, the spirit of Jesus is here today with us. 
in not some ethereal general way, but in some very pinpointed and specific way. And I have a feeling the more you talk about Jesus, the more real he becomes and the more he manifests the goodness of who he is. But when we think about expectation, what were the Jewish people expecting? And maybe we could ask this question, what should we be able to expect from God based on what he promised us? Because expectations are based on promises. And our expectations are based on God's promises. And those promises are only as trustworthy as the one who made them. So I was thinking, um, I might, as they say, get in the weeds a little bit this morning, which means I'm not quite sure where all this will go. But um, I began to think about Jesus a lot. I began to think about um, how real he's been to me. Because God's real. He can be experienced. He can be known. And I think when I was growing up and I went to church all my life, I lived with a great family, godly heritage. I don't know how many generations of, of believers, pre-revolutionary war. Uh, my mother's people came before uh, the 1770s to practice religious freedom. So I have a long history of that. But... It didn't, going to church doesn't mean God becomes real. How many of you have figured that one out? Um, but I can remember the first time I realized God was real. And I'm going to quote part of one of John Mark's song and that he was more than a fairy tale or a God who lived in a book. And it came as an experience I had as a little boy. When I was 10 years old, my family lived in a little house on Park Road here in Charlotte. I've been here since 1959. So when I was living there, it was in the city limits, outside the city limits, if you can believe that. South Park was a cow pasture. Um, South Mecklenburg High School was like the farthest most high school out of town. It was a county school. Now it's a neighborhood school. But when I was uh, growing up, it was brand new back in the Myers Park High School had just been built a few years before I came. That's where I went to high school. But when I was a little boy, I remember I, sh I shared a bedroom with my, my brother. It's funny, uh, customs, we had a guest room, but we never had any guests. So my brother and I shared this room together. I finally made the point with my mother, we never use that bedroom. Can I have it? Well, no, that's our guest room. I said, well, when are they coming? <laughs> I'll be a guest. <laughs> anyway, but I can remember, and I probably, I think I have mentioned this before. I can remember looking out at the stars through my bedroom window. I think I was around 10 years old. And for the first time that night, it dawned on me that as I was looking at the night sky, it was not one-dimensional. I was not actually looking at like what, what you could describe as a black sheet with holes poked in it and a light bulb behind it making it look like stars in some kind of a cheesy discotheque. That's great descriptive language. Cheesy 
Somebody help me with cheesy discotheque. Come on, that was, I'm amazed at how, anyway, for the first time, it dawned on me that I was looking into endless space at more stars than I could number. And my little 10-year-old mind, I remember wondering, where did those stars come from? How many are there? All these questions. Where does space end? I mean, you think about any this long enough, you're going to get a little spooked, right? Well, I'm going to describe what that being spooked actually is here in a minute. Then I want to say, what's at the end? Or how can space not end? Who made those stars? If God made all of that, where did he come from? Who made him? By that time, I was pretty shook. I became afraid, but looking back at it, I identify that feeling as experiencing God and an aspect of his manifest presence. I think we don't understand any time or many times we experience the presence of God, it can be a little unnerving. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It, it, it can be a little unnerving. Um, but that was the first time I, enc- I encountered what I would now call the fear of the Lord or the awesome respect and wonderment of God. And it remains with me to this day. Then a second time I experienced how real God was happened between my junior and senior years in high school. How many of you know what Young Life is? Young Life is a high school Christian ministry. And um, when I was in, in high school, this was 1970, I'm sorry, 1968, between my junior and senior year, they had a Western tour of the United States, which meant, they took four busloads of Charlotte area high school juniors mostly for three and a half weeks from coast to coast and we toured our great, our great country. And I mean, we went to Carlsbad Caverns and the Grand Canyon and, um, Disneyland in California and Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco and, um, we called it Pahonix, but there was Phoenix and uh, uh, Tucson, Tucson. You know, we made fun of everything the whole way. And But part of what we did was we went to a camp in the Colorado Rockies for, I don't know if it was probably four days. And in those mountains, there was um, one of the leaders, his name was Mal McSwain, and... Um, I heard the gospel for the first time. I mean, really heard it, really heard it. Of course, I've been in church all my life, but that was the first time I'd encountered Jesus as a real living person, and I gave him my life. Little did I know what that actually meant, but I did. I had started anyway. I can remember one of the things he said was, quote John 3.16 and put your name in it. For God so loved Robin that he gave his only begotten son, that if Robin believed in him, he would not perish but have everlasting life. And I I can't, I don't fully understand how that can be real for one person, not real for another person. I don't understand how that works, but I know in the mountains 
that was real. That was real for me. Um, I came home and told my mom, I said, and I was, I was a three-sport athlete, but I smoked cigarettes too in high school because I just like to do it. But uh, I told my mother, I got saved and I quit smoking. <laughs> so, you know, she didn't really know what to think. But, uh, but I knew something had happened inside of me. Um, and it was, it's part of my story. It's part of, part of my history. But one, one of the things I have recognized and realized is that it's important to have ongoing experiences with the Lord. It really is. We, we need, we just need God on a continual basis. But like John Mark wrote, not a God who lives in a book but someone real, not a fairy tale. Um, but we need our own story about meeting Jesus. W- one of the things I've recognized, too, is it's a process. I know you can be born again. The Bible calls us new creatures. But how many of you know it can take a while to work some of the uh, cobwebs out of what it is to be a godly person. Anybody else here? Uh, yeah, there's, it can be a process. We can, um, well, I mean, you can read some of the uh, epistles. Uh, John actually says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. I mean, he wrote that a good while, a good good distance down his own spiritual path, but um you don't just automatically get over all your issues the day you meet Jesus. And I mean, even the apostles proved that when you read the New Testament. But we'll talk about the third time I experienced the Lord was a bit more unusual. And it really was more dramatic. I was a freshman in college. And I'd come home for the Christmas holidays. And by then, I had been on my own for the first time of my life, and I'd been challenged at school about my faith, which was waning. And I had a girlfriend back in high school, and she'd had a a fresh encounter with the Lord. And she, when I got home for Christmas, she invited me to uh, go to an evangelistic meeting held at West Mecklenburg High School. Now, you see how far things have changed. There was an evangelistic meeting at West Mecklenburg High School. Let me repeat that. In a public school, it was okay for an evangelist to preach the gospel. Just letting you know things have changed, and maybe not for the good. Maybe some, but not, you know. So, she wanted me to hear this guy. And, I mean, I was, I was already a believer, but I was struggling. But I really did not know what I was in for that night. Actually... I played on a city championship baseball team, and we double-dated to the crusade, if you can believe that, with uh, one guy that really wasn't interested in being there, who he and I played on that team together. And uh, Anyway, after what happened to me, I never saw him again. And I'll tell you, um, that night as the gentleman spoke, I became convicted of sin. Anybody ever heard of that term? 
you know, I don't even think people believe in sin anymore, honestly. But it's real. And I got convicted of sin of my behavior, but in a way that completely surprised me. And um, I felt a little bit of that fear of the Lord. I don't mean like I was afraid of God, like he didn't like me, but just that sense of, my goodness, God is real. But he offered an invitation to come forward for prayer. And when I went forward, the power of the Holy Spirit touched me in such a way that I found myself weeping a lot to an embarrassing degree. It's like I just came completely apart. And um, uh, the other couple left in the middle of my embarrassing encounter with the Lord. I've never seen either one of them since. I don't know if what happened to me had anything to do with it. I just know that's true. But, but I experienced again the presence of God in a more personal way that was powerful, embarrassing, but profound. And, and thinking about how real God is, I think too, during that same holiday, I reconnected with a friend of mine named Charlie Wallace. He was a guy I met in Little League. We went to school, junior high and high school, and we're friends to this day. And he too had, during that season, had a life-changing experience with Jesus. And I went by his house and rang the doorbell. And this is, this is as he came to the door. And I looked at him. He looked like a human light bulb. He was like lit up. Have you ever met somebody who had an encounter with Jesus to the degree that their countenance was changed? He radiated. And I thought, what in the world? And so he got to, uh, we got to talk and tell me about it. And that was amazing. Jesus will change your life. And, and all the changes won't you won't necessarily fully appreciate. And they may not all happen at once. But my point is that the God of the universe is alive and well, and that we can experience Jesus as a living person who changes us, who transforms us. And of course, those are not the only experiences I've had, but that that first one, when I began looking at the stars and being touched deeply with the Lord, really was the beginning for me of God being real. There's something about the stars. You know, it says the heavens declare the glory of God. Let's say that. The heavens declare the glory of God. And I, the, I believe the Lord spoke to me in times past, and he said, if you will study the heavens, I will become more real to you than ever. And I didn't really understand it at that time, but when you look at the marvel of the heavens and realize God made that and then realize he became a baby He became one of us. He came to live among us and experience fully 
both the good, bad, and the ugly of what it is to be human, it's remarkable. And the, and the scripture is very clear that it's not just that God created all things, it's that Jesus did. Jesus did. Well, I was watching um, this video the other day about a picture um, that the Hubble telescope had taken. And the, the Hubble telescope had pinpointed a little very tiny, from our perspective, area in the sky, which was so dark there were no visible stars in it, that particular size. And to visualize the size as you would look in the heavens, it would be like if you were looking at a nickel from 100 feet away. So very tiny little dot in the heavens. And so they took this long, long exposure of a dark part of the sky, which had nothing in it visible to the naked eye. But as they held that extremely long exposure and allowed whatever light was in that area to register as a uh, an image, there were 10,000 blobs of light on the image of that little tiny speck. And what looked like stars were actually not just stars but galaxies. And they estimated in that little small part of the expanse, 360-degree expanse of the heavens around our little blue ball of the earth, contained 100,000 million stars. 100,000 million. Now, when we say stars, we think twinkle, twinkle, little star. No, when we think stars, we need to think sun. Right? Not twinkle, twinkle, dotness. No, sun. Massive. Huge. Burning. Hot. 100,000 million. Now, astronomers, <laughs> I've got a friend who has a highly successful business in um, Charleston, and he learned a lot of business um, wisdom from a self-taught businessman that made a lot of money, but he wasn't very well educated. And um, he, he's, my friend's name is Gray, and this guy said to him, Gray, I believe in astronomy. You know your sign. He's talking about astrology. <laughs> he said, marry a Leo and let her take care of your finances. Cause that's, you know, I don't know all that. But anyway, he was quite a character. But in the universe, astronomers have estimated that there are 200, say, just say 200 by accident, 200 billion Galaxies, galaxies containing one sep, don't even say this, it'll hurt your mouth, one septillion stars, suns, not twinkle, twinkle, one septillion stars, that's a one followed by 24 zeros. I mean, we can't, you know, we're already lost, right? At the ext 
Now, why am I going into such detail about the stars in the universe and the vast assist? Because the one who created all that's the one who made us promises, spoke to the prophets, who told us more than we have actually realized about the coming of Jesus. The one who created all things became a man and was born in a stable in Bethlehem, just as it was promised. I'm really um, interested in messianic prophecies. Those are prophecies about the coming of the Lord. And based on who you talk to, there are between 300 and 400 of them in the Old Testament. And those prophecies had all kind of description in them. And if you're going to be honest about it, some of the prophecies you can't fully understand until after the fulfillment comes. I don't know um, if a lot of you have been involved in prophetic things or even if the Lord's spoken to you before. A lot of times you don't even really what he was talking about until after what he was talking about actually happens. Word for the wise here. Um, but... One mathematician studied the odds of one man fulfilling just 50 of those ancient prophecies. And it was one chance in uh, 10 to the 17th power that that could happen, all of them. That's one chance in 10 followed by 17 zeros. What? That all of those, just 50 of the 300 could actually happen. Yes, there were people here earlier. <laughs> so God has made all these promises. And we don't always understand them even when we hear them plainly. But he made promises about the Messiah, about Christ Jesus, over hundreds even even thousands of years. And so there's this mathematical probability that Jesus is the Christ according to the Scripture. And I'm sure anyone cannot believe what I'm going to tell you, but I'm just going to tell you this. Anyone can, I'm reading this. This is some sources I've gotten from, from uh, the Internet. Anyone can make predictions, but having those prophecies fulfilled is vastly different. In fact, the more statements made about the future and the more the detail then the less likely the precise fulfillment will be. For example, what's the likelihood of a person predicting today the exact city in which the birth of a future leader would take place? Well, into the 22nd century. Well, that this is indeed what the prophet Micah did 700 years before the Messiah. Further, what is the likelihood of predicting the precise manner of death that a new unknown religious leader would experience a thousand years from now, and it being by a manner of death presently unknown, which was a crucifixion, and to remain unknown for hundreds of years. Well, that's what David did in 1000 BC. So what's the likelihood of predicting the specific date of the appearance of some great future leader hundreds of years in advance? Well, that's what Daniel did 530 years before Christ. So I could go on and on about these, but 
a university did a study of the odds of 50 of these prophecies coming to pass. The chance of them randomly coming to pass. And they said it was the same odds as if you covered the state of Texas in silver dollars. Everybody see that picture? State of Texas covered in three silver dollars. Okay, now they're covered with three feet deep of silver dollars. You got that? You got that picture? And then there was one silver dollar that had your name on it, and you had a blindfold on, and you had one pick, and you picked that one silver dollar out of three feet deep of silver dollars in the state of Texas. Those are the odds that only 50 of these prophecies would actually come to pass. That doesn't compute, does it? But let me tell you a little bit about these prophecies, and then we're, then we're going to close. But these prophecies told us that Galilee would be the chosen among the nations to see a great light. A male child born to remove the darkness, Isaiah chapter 9. The Messiah was foretold to preach about repentance, Isaiah chapter 30. And be a gentle redeemer who would uphold justice and heal the broken, Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 61. The Savior would also speak in parables that would fall on deaf ears, Psalm 78, Isaiah 6, and perform many miracles, Isaiah 35. The prophecies further describe the deliverer as a faithful priest who would do God's will, a prophet selected from among the Israelites, and a humble king who would ride atop a donkey toward welcoming crowds. Despite this peaceful and healing description of the coming Messiah, the prophets also asserted that the Messiah would be rejected by his own people, but embraced by the Gentiles. The last prophecy warned that the rulers would plot to kill the Messiah, Psalm 31. One of the classics is this one in Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forths are from of old, from everlasting. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you were little among the thousands of Judah, little, not large, not prominent, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. Which one? The one whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. It's talking about someone divine. Now let me let me close with this idea. Bethlehem Ephratah was actually the place that... Um, Jacob's wife, Rachel, was buried. She died in childbirth. And I don't remember the the whole context, but Bethlehem actually speaks of a place of heartbreak. But out of Bethlehem, out of a place that was small and nondescript, 
was born the one who would absolutely change the world. And you can know him. You can know him personally. You can have encounters with Jesus. He can become real to you. He can become wonderful to you. He can become your counselor. He can come to you as almighty God. What's the next one? Everlasting. Everlasting what? He can be a father to you. Maybe you didn't have a good dad. Well, I had a good dad and I still needed an everlasting father. And I've been a good dad and my four kids still needed an everlasting father who could represent himself better than I could to them. So I'm going to invite Josiah just to come back. But I want to pray this morning specifically. I want to give you a a response. How many of you want to have another experience with Jesus. I want, I want you to stand up if you want to have another experience with Jesus because that's what we're going to pray for. Josiah, why don't you come? Why don't you come pray that? You want to pray that? Yeah. We love Josiah. Come over here. <laughs> How many of you love Josiah. I am not getting a Josiah Claypool fan club t-shirt though, but I will get a tattoo. <laughs> get him, Lord. Come on. All right. Go! Okay, sorry. It's got a little. Father God, um, <laughs> we thank you so much. Yes, you thank are. you, Jesus. Oh, Lord God, we, we mm. look today. Thank you for the opportunity to look at the numbers. Thank we you, thank Lord. you for the opportunity to, to process through, Father God, what mm. it took for you to not only create this universe, mm. but, Father, but to create the conditions for human beings to actually live. Father God, mm. for there to be people here, for us to be able to, to, to mm. breathe the correct air, if it's off by one millisecond, Father, or one, one molecule, Lord God, we would not be able to breathe, Father. All mm. the things that went into you creating the, the conditions for human beings to thrive. Mm. And despite our own mistakes, Lord God, you create, Lord, you've already, the lamb before yeah. time had been slain. You've already seen and known what it would take, Father, to restore relationship. Mm. So, Father God, we know that you desire to be in relationship with us, for us to know you and for us to be known by you. Lord God, that is your heart desire. We look and see that Jesus created it all and sacrificed himself so that we could be in relationship. So, Father God, many of us in this room are in relationship. But, Lord God, we are hungry and thirsty. Yeah. So, Lord God, knowing who you are, we come boldly into your throne room and we ask, Lord, touch us. Yes. Touch our hearts, touch Mm. our minds, touch our bodies. Show up. Speak, God. 
Reveal yourself to us. Make us aware of where you are in the moment. Father, I pray for for this assembly. I pray for this room. Lord God, that we would see you. Lord God, that we would have eyes open, expectant. Not an expectation of what should happen, but an expectation that you will come. Yes. Father, we are open to your words. We are open to your leading. Our eyes are open, Father God. We're looking in the word. We're seeking in prayer. We're looking for general revelation out in the woods. Father God, our hearts and and our eyes are open, Lord God. We are open to seeing you wherever you would meet us. So, Lord God, I pray that you would bless us with a grace to seek you this week. A grace to seek after you. To know that you are there and a desire to want to find you. Father, point us in the right direction. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.